Jonathan Barshop runs Podcast Growth for one of the biggest business podcasts out there. If you include YouTube, like 2.5 to 3 million downloads slash views a month. And in this episode, we talk about the different tactics they are using to grow their show. We're going to do a 60K slot with them, and then I have the remaining 440K to give to another show. Where they're getting outsized returns on their growth marketing. You can expect roughly two to three times, maybe even more of the conversion percentage. And the little known dark side of the podcast industry and how some of the biggest companies out there that you've heard of are doing some really sketchy things to generate millions of downloads. I wanna say like $6 million per month over the last like three or four years. So let's dive in. Jonathan, what is up, my man? Stoked to have you here. Let's let's just jump into the good stuff. What is the biggest show that you're working on right now or working with or have something to do with? Yeah, uh, My First Million. That's the biggest one. Business entrepreneurship podcast hosted by Sam Parr and Sean Purry. How big is that? If you include YouTube, like 2.5 to 3 million downloads slash views a month. What's the ramp up getting to two and a half to three million a month. So I joined about a year ago and we were at like 700K just in terms of downloads. Didn't really have like a YouTube presence. We, we did a little bit, but really over the last year, like I've put a lot of time and resources into building out the YouTube channel, tightening up our podcast download strategy. So it's essentially like doubled slash tripled over the last year, which is awesome. And I'm sure we'll like get into all the details of, of like how that's happened. Damn, that's awesome. How much is it growing now? Like month over month, are you guys seeing like a consistent, steady growth right now? It's really tough to tell with that show because we don't always release the same amount of episodes per month. And so you kind of have to backtrack into downloads per episode. And even that can be a little bit tough to kind of pinpoint, but industry average to grow with podcasts is around three to 5%. We more or less at that, depending on like what kind of marketing efforts we're doing in a given month. But this last month we saw 27% growth, which is pretty nuts. We went from like 98,000 downloads per episode to 122. And that's our biggest growth month since I've started. So it's the beating curse of podcasting is like, you're trying so many things and you can't really attribute exactly what caused that bump. Like we released a bunch of really high quality episodes in terms of our guest lineup. We had Kevin Rose, we had Ryan Holiday, we had Palmer Lucky who invented Oculus and doesn't do a lot of interviews. So that could be a piece of it. We also did like a cross promotion with the show and got like a really strong endorsement from that host and he has a really diehard audience. So that could also be a part of it. But that's the thing with growing podcasts is you don't really know what caused spikes. You just sort of have to like back into it with some, some sort of like funky math. I always tell like when we get clients coming in, especially the ones that have direct response marketing background where they're used to like tons of paid ads and they know the source and the number of clicks and the amount of conversions. I'm like, just so you know, this is very opaque. Like we yeah. just have rough guesses and we think this happened and this makes sense that this caused this. There's a lot of like trying your best to connect the dots. And it sounds like that's what you guys see a lot as well. Yeah, exactly. Is there any software that you guys are using to get a bit more clarity on that? I use Google Sheets and then I also use Notion to kind of track all the different campaigns we have going at a given time. So I can see, okay, during the month of October, we saw this big jump in downloads and I can go to my Notion page and see all the different campaigns we have running at a given time and kind of drill into it a little bit further. And then from there, I'll do more analysis to look at different reports and be like, if you can look month to month, we ran this campaign on this platform and we grew this percentage. That's cool. Like you spent, call it like 10,000 bucks on like a podcast player, you grew a certain percentage, but 
what's the retention on that? So you kind of have to wait another two months to really see, okay, how many of those people stayed? And all you can really do is just look at a report within your posting provider to back into that. It's not as simple as looking at Google Analytics and like really being able to see tangibly where people came from or what that yeah. result was. When you guys are running a campaign, do you run it for say a month and then stop it and wait a month just to try to figure out what that retention is? Because if you're immediately going to another campaign, you have no idea about was that actually good because you don't know if it was sticky or not. So are you guys like pausing it to try to get some clarity on that? Pretty much. There is, and I'm just kind of mostly talking about buys with podcast players specifically, which means like you purchase an ad on like Overcast, Pocket Cast or whatever, and it's basically like a display ad on that podcast player. Um, and then over the course of like 30 days, you can kind of see the downloads and subscribers trickle in. And so, yeah, like one, we will run a campaign for like a month and pause it and sort of check retention. But secondly, it's like a lot of these platforms have very limited inventory. So you don't have any other choice, but to wait another two, three, four months before you can run another campaign. But I think that actually like works in our favor because if you just constantly are bombarding these apps with the same advertisements, they're going to be less effective over time. So having it sprinkled out. A little bit over time, I think is more an effective route, but take everything I say with a grain of salt because nothing is like certain in podcasting, but that's kind of the way I think about it. So these, these campaigns that you guys are running in these different apps, you mentioned like Overcast, Pocket Cast, they're basically like what we would think of as like banner ads, right? Mm -hmm. Which of those have you seen work the best? Are they all more or less the same in terms of like conversion and cost per subscription or click or however they manage it. So I have a whole nother spreadsheet that kind of tracks all that. And this is where it gets a little bit tricky because it's not really talked about widely in the industry, but there's a few players that are like a lot lower quality, kind of just amongst experts in the fields compared to the higher quality ones. And I'll just kind of list them out. It's never yep. done this before. So you're getting the exclusive. And we do this in my spreadsheet, which is like the highest quality ad you can run in podcasting and kind of widely regarded since amongst like experts is like a host red ad because you're getting a genuine endorsement from a host, you know, their audience, ideally that they built up over the course of two, three, five, ten 10 years, they will take what that person says like very, very fondly. And so if you can get a genuine endorsement from a podcast host to your podcast, that's kind of the best conversion, the highest quality listener and like can be very, very fruitful. The next is if you're buying on podcast players, there's like a stat break there. And there's no exact measurement here. It's sort of just off, off of like gut and talking with other smart people, but Overcast, Pocketcast, maybe one or two others that have just like that OG status that if someone mentions they listen on any of those players, you're like, oh, like you are a podcast power user. Those are kind of like the top grade podcast players. I'd say like a tier below that are something like Podcast Addict. It's the biggest podcast app for Android users. So again, like this is sort of just my take, but I feel like that's just not going to be as high quality in terms of the, the quality of listeners, but it's a super respectable app widely used. And then recently, like we've decided to knock players like Castbox and player FM a tier below that because they're just web-based and it's very, very questionable. And it's how those campaigns are run to really drive subscribers, meaning box specifically the way like on paper that is the best buy for for podcast players like you are getting somewhere around 15 to 50 cents per subscriber where if you're buying on like an overcast it's going to be on the very low end it's like seven bucks per subscriber all the way up to like 25 30 but the problem with cast box and again this is just 
something that I've kind of come to personally is that the way in which they get subscribers is a little bit like suspicious. I don't know the exact workflow, but it's something along the lines of someone subscribes or someone signs up for Castbox and they're automatically recommended a slew of shows and for people who are paying to advertise on that platform, they are included in that. So it's almost like you sign up for CastBox, you're recommended all these shows and you have to uncheck them one by one. And most people as they're signing up, they're just like skip to figure it out later. And that basically like kind of floats numbers. Now I've talked to their team and they say that there's no like auto downloading after that. Essentially, a lot of these podcast players will basically like auto download episodes in perpetuity. Others will only do it for a certain period of time. For example, Apple Podcasts, I think, if you don't listen to episodes within like two or three week period, I can't remember the exact window, they'll stop auto downloading episodes for you. And that's a good point. A lot of people don't realize this. If you get a new subscriber on say Apple podcast, like that subscriber, the day they subscribe, that could be attributed to depending on how many episodes you have, like 10, 15, 20 downloads like that. So if you see spikes, like massive spikes on certain days, obviously a lot easier if you have a really small show, like really niche show. It could be you just only got a few subscribers, but that auto download functionality in Apple Podcasts and these other apps kind of artificially inflates your numbers. And I would say 98% of people have no idea about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So the kind of like fail safe that they have there, because obviously if that was the case, like people's numbers would just constantly be juiced. They have that fail safe there where if someone doesn't listen to it over like a three week period, they've stopped auto downloading. Other players don't do that. I can't specifically name off the top of my head which ones don't. I think most are good about it. You never really know. So after talking with Castbox team, apparently they don't auto-download after like three episodes, which is good, but there's still just something fishy there. It's like we're following crypto very closely right now. And if something's too good to be true, it's probably, there's probably something fishy there. And so that's kind of just like yeah. general consensus amongst the, yeah. the podcast players. Where it is I too think good that's, to be true. that's super smart about the, the too good to be true, because I know this was probably two years ago or so. If, if you're in podcasting, especially if you have like podcast hosts and like your LinkedIn bio or something like that, like you get hit up with a bunch of like marketing stuff, hell, maybe even from me before. Uh, but I don't know if it's so much now, but definitely at some period in time, there was a lot of people overseas, Pakistan, India, et cetera messaging podcast host about like, Hey, we can get you 10,000 downloads on your podcast, hundred thousand downloads on your podcast. And I would always like entertain these guys because I wanted to figure out like what they were doing. Like, obviously there, there's something fishy going on, but like, just out of curiosity, what are they doing? How are they doing this? I probably spent about three hours talking to this one guy. And he would not tell me like what he was doing, but I was like, kind of like teasing him like, Hey, I have all these clients, like this would be really cool, but I need to understand more about it. And eventually what I found out is they somehow illegally, obviously obtained an email list with like, I want to say it was like 50 million emails on it. It was all Apple users. So all at iCloud.com email addresses, but in all countries and they had it segregated by country. Uh, US, UK, uh, Japan, and all you had to do was pay them like a, a super low, stupid fee. So again, red flags, like too good to be true. Mm -hmm. It was like, Hey, pay us like 500 bucks and we'll get you 50,000 downloads. Like you don't have to do anything else. Just pay them the money and you mysteriously get the download. And what they were doing was you pay them the money and they essentially spam all these people until they get whatever you agreed, say it was $50,000. So they got 50,000 clicks on the link that is in this spam email. 
So they just email however many it takes. He said they did it in batches of 10,000. So they would send out 10,000 emails, see how many clicks they got, send out 10,000 more until they can meet the commitment of the person that paid. So it was essentially just spamming. And I think a lot of people buy into that. And it's dumb because in podcasting, it's not like YouTube, right? Oh, like there's video podcasts. But if we think just the audio podcast, you're the only one that sees those numbers. That means yeah. it's pure vanity. Like you're doing it just yeah. to like pat yourself on the back. It's stupid because no one else even knows. Like unless you want to say I'm ranked in this yeah. country, right? The next week, as soon as they stop, you won't be ranked. Yeah. You take your screenshot, you get like the top five ranking, and then you can always say number one ranked podcast. I've seen that. Like a zillion yeah. times in this space. And it honestly, like we're guilty of it too from time to time. Like we get a really good ranking. We'll take that screenshot and then we can use that to land bigger guests. So it's not all bad, but like, I think if you are you purely using that as a way to, yeah, like basically just like stroke your ego. And honestly, like we want to get into the whole dark web of like podcasting. There's all sorts of things there. There's like the big scandal that recently broke about this mobile app game called Subway Surfer and how iHeartMedia, which is like the biggest network in the world, essentially in podcasting was juicing downloads by don't they have like hundreds of shows? Yes. Yeah. From all different genres, all different A-listers. And they ran these ads on this game called Subway Surfer. And for people to earn more points by playing that game, they got fed a audio ad for the first like 10 seconds or 20 seconds of one of the podcasts that iHeart was promoting. And that counts as a download. So they were literally able to gain download numbers by putting it on this mobile app for people to basically listen to, to gain more, more points. This goes back to my point earlier, like the kind of dark web of podcasting is like, if you're an advertiser and you're buying an ad on a podcast and that podcast is being fed to some like 12 year old, who's trying to gain more points by playing like subway surfer and listening to like probably three seconds of this podcast before they click skip, that's your dollars being just poured down the drain. And so iHeart was doing this at like a crazy scale. I want to say it was like $6 million per month over the last three or four years. And that's just like one bad actor that just got caught. I'm sure there's dozens, if not hundreds of others who are doing this on you know, smaller, bigger scales or whatever, but it's just wild because it's so easy to do. You can find someone overseas to juice your download numbers. And then you can say, Hey, our podcast got 50,000 downloads this month, but they're all basically bots or whatever. That's honestly like the benefit to doing that. If you're trying to gain the system is you can do that on a monthly basis. You can say the show gets 50,000 downloads a month. And then you can go to advertisers and say, our show is doing 50,000 high quality listeners or whatever, when it's really just all bots. It's essentially like arbitrage. You're like, I can buy these fake downloads for a thousand and sell, essentially sell that amount of downloads to an advertiser for 5,000. Thus, I just magically created $4,000 of value for myself, but totally screwed over the advertiser. Yeah, exactly. And they have no way of knowing really. They could ask for your download numbers, but even that stuff could be faked. I have to imagine when that stuff broke with iHeart, there was a lot of other companies that were, have you seen that uh, Homer Simpson meme where he's like, bad, like, kind of yeah, fading into the exactly. bush. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh shit, don't look over here. Let, hey, stop that right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's another platform that I won't mention that I know the biggest networks in the world use as well. It's a similar practice. It's not as like just blatantly scammy like that, but it definitely is suspect. And just looking at like some of the clients that they work with when they were pitching us like to use them, it was like the Oprah network and it was all these huge, huge networks. So I think this is happening at scale. Again, this platform isn't quite as like black hat, but it definitely is a little bit suspect. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of questionable stuff. We're running a campaign for one of our clients right now through 
Headliner. It's a web-based tool that makes audiograms for your podcast. I mean, essentially, if you don't pay for Headliner, what happens is if you're using the tool, there's like a waiting period while it's processing and they'll serve you up a player on the screen. And someone that is 1000% not interested in your podcast is going to count as a download as they wait for their audiogram to generate. So I've done that and it generates some downloads, but there, none of them obviously are sticky. They're not subscribers, but the thing that we're doing with them now, again, just to test out stuff, because I'm always testing is they're uh, essentially they're creating a native, kind of like a native ad network, native ads for anyone not familiar. Like if you're like reading a blog at the bottom of the blog, it'll have like suggested other blogs. And a lot of times if you look closely, it'll say like sponsored above them. They look like blog posts, but they're all ads. And that is paid out on a cost per click basis. Meaning if you're advertising there, you only charge money if someone actually clicks on it. Now, what Headliner is doing now is they're essentially, they partnered up with a network of companies that have these blogs and inline, if you've ever seen like inline ads where it's like you're reading the blog and like between paragraphs, there's like a banner ad or something like that. They're essentially injecting an audio player. So it shows like your podcast cover artwork, a little description about the show. I don't think it auto plays, but they have the ability to like press play, like in the middle of the ad. So we'll see how that works. I still don't see it being sticky in terms of a subscriber. I see it purely as like a brand play. It's like a recognition thing. Like people see it, maybe they go into their app and download, or maybe it's like a repetition thing. Like, oh, I've seen this podcast before. Maybe I should actually check it out now. Uh, I just don't think it'll be sticky at all, but that's something that we're, we actually have one running right now just to, just to test that out. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I think like to your point of headliner, we, we tested that as well. And yes, it is like an autoplay that like someone who's rendering their audiogram is probably not going to give two shits about. And also like the, the people who are using headliner are people who are actually in the podcasting space and they're taking their craft seriously, but it could also be a, someone who was outsourced in India that is just like doing this for their uh, podcast host. And so. Part of me is like, okay, well, at least this person who's like interested in podcasting, you know, a bit of the show. And maybe if you pick, pick the right hook, like from that show, they, they might like dive in further. As you just said, it's like, probably not. And there's no way to really know. Like, all you know, is that that person maybe heard a few seconds of it. There's no way to know if that person actually like ended up hearing that, going to the podcast player, downloading an episode, subscribing any of those actions. Like there's no way of knowing. And that's like the challenge of podcasting. Yeah. Yeah. And. When I ran the test, I did it actually on this podcast because kind of to your thought, you can leverage some of these platforms a bit better if you put the right type of show in front of it. So I'm like, okay, the people that are going to be creating audiograms, to your point, they're going to be interested in podcasting. So if I serve them some uh, something about content, right, it's much more likely that I would get a subscriber from that. Whereas if I serve up like some like financial education podcast or something like that, these people are like, what the hell? Like, why is this shit playing? Like, where's the mute button? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. I think a really great growth method for people who maybe don't have budgets is to do cross promotions with other shows. And the way that that works is you team up with the podcaster and you say, Hey, let's cross promote each other's shows for X amount of impressions slash downloads. Like think of impressions as downloads. And if you do that with another show, that's say like over the course of a month, let's say both shows do 50,000 downloads a month, you can get those impressions on their show from that audience that they've built up over the course of a month. But if you buy through these like black hat methods, you can basically like deliver 
lesser impressions to that person over the course of like one to two weeks. And so that person is getting a watered down experience. Now, if you know how to track it effectively, you'll notice this sketchiness going on because you'll, you'll see like, okay, we got 50,000 impressions from this swap, but the conversion rate on that was like piss poor. And so that's kind of like how you are able to do that math to figure out was it worth it or not? Do you try to validate that like from their host somehow? So there's a, there, there's a few tools that do this, but the main one's Chartable. And basically like you can track conversions from a podcast ad to another podcast. Meaning like if you hear an ad for My First Million on another show, um, we're able to track those conversions back to our show. 95% of the time. In conversion, meaning they played this show and then they played this one or they were listening to the show and then they subscribed to this show. Which one? They listen. So like they heard the ad. They're like, oh, this sounds like something I like. So then they go to my personalian in their podcast player and download an episode. What is a, a good conversion? What are you looking for? I should say. So on the low, low, low end, it's like 0.1%. That's kind of like bottom of the barrel, but still like atrocious. We try to shoot for like, I would say 0.5 is sort of our benchmark of success. And if we can get it up to 1%, that's definitely a winner. But I'm also seeing some that get up to like 1.2, 1.3, 1.4. Those are like our big winners. So that's the percentages that we shoot for now. And I'm still kind of learning different aspects of the space. We're working with a really talented team over at Bumper. They do uh, podcast consulting for bigger corporations. They've recommended that we start doing more feed drops with other shows, meaning we drop a full episode of our show within the feed of another show and get like a quick endorsement from the host at the beginning to be like, yo, we're dropping this episode of my first million. This is why I love the show. Check out this episode. And maybe it's not the full length episode. Maybe it's just like the best 15 minutes of a specific episode. But for those conversions, you'll basically be paying two to three times as much for that feed drop, but you can expect roughly two to three times, maybe even more of the conversion percentage. Meaning like if you get 0.5% on a cross promo with the show, you can expect somewhere between like 1.5 to 3% for a feed drop. Is the expectation that you would then also drop an episode of theirs on yours or is that it's not necessarily a swap it's more like you're you're paying outright for this i guess yeah like you can totally do feed swaps right now we're paying for them but yeah doing a feed swap is another great method it's also an approach where you record an episode with that other show and then that episode just lives in both feeds and that's essentially the swap and then that way the hosts can get like the audiences can get a feel for both those hosts like they're interviewing each other type of thing we did that with a show called acquired um, before I started, but I remember listening to that episode and that episode got dropped in both feeds and my assumption is it worked pretty well. So I like what you said there because I never thought about it like this. I've always thought about cross promos, like the host red cross promo stuff. Like you have to find someone really close to you in terms of size, but you actually, based on how you describe it, you have a little bit of flexibility. Like you could essentially go for a, either a bigger show or a lower show. And, and if you do it specifically based on impressions or downloads, like maybe it takes them longer to deliver that number of downloads or impressions, but it still doesn't have to be someone like right at your level, whether it be higher or lower. That's definitely a much better way to think about it because you have much more flexibility in the number of types of shows that you can go to. We typically try to find shows that are like on an equal playing field just because it's less of a headache to manage like five yeah. cross promos in a given month versus just like one, maybe two. But the way you can think about it is if you, your show gets a million downloads a month, good for you, first of all, but second of all, um, you can divvy that up to be like, okay, we're going to do a hundred thousand with this show. That's a little bit smaller, but seems to have like a really diehard audience. 
then we're going to divvy out like 400K to this show that has like a larger audience and we'll see how it works. And then we'll do the remaining, like whatever, we don't do public math, but whatever the remaining is like 500K to the like two or three other shows. When you say divvy it up, are you guys doing that through like dynamic ads or something like that? How are you like allocating like certain amounts to certain host reads? So I try to just do like one to one every month where we have like 500,000 impressions that are up for grabs to do a cross promo with another show. And so I try to find shows that have that large of an audience to do that with, but that's not always the case. Sometimes I'll find a smaller show that's like, seems to have a really good audience and I'll do, okay, we're going to do a 60 K swap with them. And then I have the remaining 440 K to give to another show or potentially one or two other shows. And so the way I do it is yes, it's dynamically inserted for the most part. Um, at least on our end, it is for other shows, like maybe they aren't, they don't have that system set up. And when I say dynamically inserted, that just means like, if you're not on a podcast, it's probably pre-recorded and they swap it out like within a month's time versus like it being baked in, which is like, it's forever there basically. So it just depends on the podcast you work with. Some are less sophisticated than others and don't have the dynamic insertion set up with their show. Um, so you have to use baked in, but honestly, like if you can get a baked in deal, that's probably going to be that's better good. for you because yeah, that's going to be in that feed forever, essentially, unless they take down the podcast. Um, and oftentimes like that ends up over delivering, even if they say we are doing this 1 million impression swap and we are going to drop in these as baked in versus I'm dropping them in as dynamic for dynamic. I can say, okay, for no more than a million impressions, will this run at a million impressions? It's capped. It will not run any more than that versus baked in. They'll put it in, they'll estimate that it'll go in like eight of their shows to hit the million impression mark. And if it goes under, then they have to put it in another episode and it'll likely bleed it in a little bit more or like they put in those eight episodes and usually it'll end up kind of over time adding up to more than the, the number stated. Don't do that in a predatory way by any means. And I'm not like looking for those kinds of deals, but whenever I do a deal like that, I'm always just like pretty clear with them. Like, Hey, it's in your best interest to do dynamic, but happy to do whatever makes sense. Yeah. And people would not do dynamic because their host either does not offer it or they're not on a plan within their host that offers that functionality, stuff like that. Currently, we probably still have 45, 50 shows on Simplecast, but all of our new clients were actually setting up on Red Circle because it's mm. pretty budget friendly and they offer a dynamic ad insertion on some of their lower mm. tiers. Cause you just have so much more flexibility with dynamic ads, whether doing cross promos, promoing your own stuff, whatever it might be, uh, just not having to do that baked in sucks because unless it's evergreen, it's going to create a bad listening experience or a poor marketing conversion on stuff. Yeah. If it's a year old and someone goes and listen to an episode and you're either the link's dead or doesn't work anymore, that thing's not around just, a bad, bad marketing practice. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't realize Simplecast didn't have like a good plan out there to include that. Yeah. So it's only on their enterprise tier and yeah. you can't even sign up for it unless you call them and get on the phone, that type of plan. And I called them and I talked to one of their salespeople and long story short, it was going to cost like, we would have to move all the shows onto our account and us have to foot the bill for our clients. Whereas right now our clients pay the, the monthly thing on their own host. Um, and we just kind of integrated into our main simple cast. It was going to increase our bill like three, four, five X. Like we were going to go from spending like a hundred bucks a month on hosting stuff to like 1500 bucks on yeah. hosting. And I was like, eh, like, doesn't really make sense. I'd rather just move all these shows to like red circle and not incur these costs. Anyway, when you talk about the amount of growth that you guys have had over the past 
year that you've been working on my first million to be specific, uh, the one we've been talking about, um, how much of that do you think is actually attributed to like the guest? Like how big of a factor is the guest in an episode performing well? I think it's pretty big, especially if you can get someone who, and again, it's like, it's tough to say just because that show is, is unique and it's built up such like a loyal fan base. For example, our highest performing episode this past month wasn't Palmer Lucky. It wasn't Kevin Rose. It wasn't Ryan Holiday, which were all like huge gets for us. It was an episode with Andrew Wilkinson, who is basically like a friend of the pod. He comes on roughly like once a month, once every two months, and people go crazy for his episodes. So having the big names is super helpful for sure. They saw Ryan Holiday, they saw all those names, and they, so they like, they went through it all. Um, now on the YouTube side, guests are massively important because if you're trying to grow a podcast on YouTube, it's really difficult unless you have like a big name that you can put in your thumbnail. Yeah, you can talk about like really unique things and you can target a specific niche, but having big name guests who are recognizable on YouTube, that's going to definitely impact your views and downloads on that platform. Yeah. And even to go a little bit deeper than that, like we had a client, not, not huge, right? This example, which is why I'm sharing it because it's, it's relatable to most people. He had never produced content in his life and he was able to add 4,000 subs on his YouTube channel in like the first two months, it being long form interviews, like two hour long interviews uh, because of the guest. It was a guy named Randall Carlson who has been on like Joe Rogan's podcast like multiple times, but he doesn't put out a lot of content. So if you have like mm -hmm. these people that are like sought after, like people like can't get enough of them. Naval is another person like that. If he's on a show, like it's just going to get a ton of exposure because people just can't find enough new content from him. So like this guy, exactly. Randall, like his audience, like sought him out. If you look in the comments, like it was people that were only there because they were searching his name in YouTube mm -hmm. and it's hard to find those people. But if there's someone like that in your industry and you can get them on your show, especially if you have a video podcast, like you're going to be able to leverage their name a lot. And just to be specific, like you should leverage your name, literally, like you said, put them in the thumbnail and have their name at the beginning of the YouTube title. So like for us, it's like this Randall Carlson example, it was like Randall Carlson on and then topic because mm -hmm. we just need to confirm to them really quick. Like he's in this episode, like he's commenting yeah. on these topics and that worked really, really well for a small show. How do you guys see social media playing into the growth of podcasts? Like, is it impactful? Does it move the needle? Can you tell if it moves the needle? I cannot tell if it moves the needle. I look at it purely as a brand awareness play. And here's my thought process is basically, if you're creating two to three clips, uh, maybe more, maybe less for each episode that you do. I, I have a friend, Danny Miranda, who creates like 10 to 30 clips per episode. But if you do that and are posting those hyper regularly on Instagram reels, YouTube shorts, TikTok, like only like two to 3% of those videos have really popped off for us in a meaningful way, meaning like they got like millions of views. But when I look at the download numbers, there's no direct spike in download numbers when those videos pop. So the way I see it is like, that's the top of the funnel to get people interested in the podcast. And maybe they see that TikTok because it went viral and then hopefully they'll follow that specific channel. And then they'll kind of be like in our funnel and start to digest more of our stuff. And then they'll become like a raving fan. I just think of it this way. When I'm scrolling through TikTok and I see a podcast episode promoted to me, I'm either like really interested or I'm like, I cannot give two shits. And even if, even when I'm really interested, the odds of me going to listen to that episode is very small. If I see Alex Formosi for like the 20th time in my face talking about something interesting, I'm probably going to go check that out. It's a long-term play where hopefully over like 20 to 30 touch points or 50, maybe even a hundred 
touch points with someone, seeing that content will eventually get them in the funnel. Yeah. In, in general, 100% agree. If you're listening to this and you have a smaller show, I think the value in having a smaller show is that you can see changes more quickly. So if you do start mm -hmm. doing social, you'll be able to tell if it's working. An example, uh, we've got a client really, really niche. They serve like gym owners, like brick and mortar gym owners. There's only like 30,000 of them in the US, right? So they're never going to have a big show. They got a pretty good diehard listener. They probably get three to 5,000 downloads a month, somewhere in that range. Just quick, not my point, but they've also grown a multi-million dollar business on the back of three to 5,000 downloads a month. So if you serve a really small niche and you have a product or service on the back end of that, and you're serving them at a high level with value in the content, like it definitely converts into revenue. But what I wanted to highlight here was around social, where we started working with them to do a short form social, like chopping up their podcast episodes into short form video stuff. They had, uh, it was actually the very first clip we did for them. It didn't go super viral, but it got like 700,000 views on it. We looked at the stats the next day in the podcast host. It was the most downloaded podcast day they've ever had in the three years they've been producing. And uh, they didn't have an episode drop that day. So like yeah. there was carryover between those 700,000 views to an additional, again, not massive, but an additional couple mm -hmm. hundred views on that day. So we probably got, I think it was like four or 500 additional downloads. Again, not massive. So you can kind of mm -hmm. do, you can see like how small carryover this 700,000 views here, four or 500 downloads right. additional here. You wouldn't be able to see that if you're getting millions of downloads a month. But if you have a small show, stuff that over time can move the needle for you if you're not trying to be a My First Million or a Joe Rogan type of person. Totally, totally. I've seen a few case studies just like that where it's like this murder mystery show has a really fascinating TikTok about like this crazy murder mystery and the conversion through screenshots on their RSS feed. They were able to be like this TikTok that got like 23 million views, like look at the graph here. And so there's definitely those cases, but I just think those are the anomalies. But that said, yes, for every viral TikTok or short that you get, you will definitely see some sort of like small incremental increase. It's just not going to be relevant relative to the number of views. For 700,000 views, you think you'd get like thousands of new listens. And that's just not the case, yeah. but it's still like, those are the things that actually move the needle um, over a long period of time. Like you said. Yeah, dude. Well, dude, it's been awesome to chat with you. Where are you active at on the interwebs? Where, uh, where can people follow you? Yeah, mostly on Twitter, um, but I'm just everywhere. If you just Google my name, Jonathan Barshop, I'll be responsive on all the different platforms. LinkedIn, probably less so than others, but um, just hit me up and I'll find you. Cool. I'll throw, uh, I'll throw your info on the screen right now. Again, appreciate you coming on. It's been fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me.